It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. I always try to suggest to people you don't want boars eating too little feed because you'll hurt semen production. You don't want boars to get overfed so that they're fat. It decreases their locomotion, decreases their jump time on the AI dummies. And so they're both ends of the equation. We don't want to get on the extremes. We want to be as much in the middle as we can. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like Elanco's Prevacent, a new PERS Spective. Visit prevacentprrs.us to learn more. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcel Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Zinpro. Since 1971, Zinpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. Hello, everyone. Today, our guest is Dr. Mark Wilson, and he will talk about born nutrition and management. How are you, Dr. Wilson? I'm doing very fine. Thank you for inviting me to talk on your podcast program for the swine uh, industry. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate your time. And uh, you are definitely one of the top uh, people around the globe uh, when we start talking about boar. So it's, it's an honor to have you here. Well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Uh, the first question, uh, Dr. Wilson, is... Tell us about yourself, your career so far, for those that don't know you. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I went to Iowa State University for my undergraduate degree. Uh, I got both my master's and PhD at the University of Kentucky in reproductive physiology. Mm-hmm. I then went and taught at the University of Minnesota Wasika. I was a full professor and I did teaching and research uh, my research was on sows, boars, and nursery research at the Southern Experiment Station. Um, that was about six years. Five years I did, uh, I was 100% time teaching. Then I uh, went to United Feeds for nine years and was director of technical service. Uh, helped with, again, boar and sow research. At that time, I was doing quite a bit more boar research Now, today, most of my research actually is connected with the SILES. I was six and a half years at Minitube of America, Vice President of Delivery of Technology. And then um, my last 11 years here, I've been at Zinpro Corporation and in the Research and Nutritional Services Department. Again, my focus is SILES and BOR research 
interactions with the immune inflammation, nutrition, and how that impacts on reproductive responses. Very interesting. Yeah, very, very long and, and um, great career. So we appreciate, again, your time to, for being here. Uh, and let's jump right into the topic, which is more research and, and nutrition management. The first thing that we all know is that it's a very scarce uh, topic, right? And even, you know, soil research, soil research is not enough and, and boar research is, is even less. Uh, uh, you and I were talking before we, we start recording here that it's probably less than 1%. 1% will be lucky, you said. So that's, that makes sense. Uh, based on your understanding of this uh, scarce literature and also in your experience, what are the key aspects in born nutrition and feeding that folks need to keep their mind open to? Well, yeah, and, the, and I need to give some credit to probably some other uh, researchers out there too, uh, such as Boz Kemp, mm -hmm. uh, Mike Tokesh at University of uh, Kansas State University, um, uh, Close and Roberts out of the UK, and then Gary Lewis uh, with his PhD work he did in Nebraska, those all at least give us some summary of looking at energy needs, protein needs uh, for the boar. And so at least we have a basis to somewhat start from, but if you really look at the data and the data that's out there, we haven't made a lot of huge progress. And If you look at the small population that the boar really is around the globe, there's probably no more than somewhere around 85,000 to 120,000 boars worldwide. And so they aren't a major player in the whole swine industry. And that's why the limited amount of research that goes into them. Right. That, that makes total sense. What, what would you say would be when you think about boar nutrition or feeding for that uh, sake, what would be a few aspects, a few things that comes to mind as, as you start thinking about that diet? Yeah, um, the first thing that I like doing is make sure do they understand what we want that boar to do in a boar stud. So for example, what are the things that we're concerned about? So one of them is locomotion. That boar's got to walk, he's got to be able to jump the dummy. Uh, we want to stay away from problems like lameness and those kind of things. Uh, libido, how quickly the boar actually jumps the dummy, is another aspect that we want to make sure we at least kind of focus on. We want to minimize bacterial contamination in the collection areas and our big push that we're doing for uh, nutrients is his growth, maintenance, sperm quality and sperm quantity uh, from those boars. That's kind of the holistic picture we look at what we want to do with boars. So if we look at, well, how do we effectively measure which boars are the best breeders? Mm -hmm. That's a thing that I think becomes really important in this and uh, makes it tough to figure out sometimes as to what's the real objective we're trying to do nutrient-wise because if we take a look at We know sperm motilities are one of our most popular things that people look at for qualifying whether the boar's got good sperm or not good sperm and whether it's progressive motility. 
uh, measurements of head shape uh, is another one that's out there that's a newer technology that may come on the line for uh, taking a look at the impact, what it does. University of Wisconsin's involved uh, in particularly that project. Uh, abnormalities of semen, what causes that? So heat stress, for one, is that we know that has a fairly common effect. If we get into heat stress, we'll get somewhere a percentage around 20, 25% of the bores that will get impacted due to this elevation of temperature. And a lot of times it doesn't have to take as high a temperatures as what people think to create a problem in our sperm quality and looking at that. So what percentages do we use to actually sort of cut that off than where the cutoffs are with keeping bores? And I'll tell you a quick little story mm -hmm. that may help you with why I have sort of a decision process in this because I have two different projects that we worked with that um, where groups have actually gone out and then every bore that they bring into the stud, they actually mate the 30 sows and take a look at then the number, one first is conception, the number of pigs born, and then the, the issue of actual farrowing rate. So those three things were the thing that quantity-wise, they wanted to sum up to see which ones were their best fertility bores, et cetera. What they found was when they did this process and called out the bores that were less than 11 pigs for an average out of the 30 sows, mm -hmm. then what they found was they got almost a two-pig jump for the farm system mm -hmm. in what happened to their reproductive responses of the sows. Another smaller project that emphasizes kind of the same thing is we had a boar that didn't even have 60% normal sperm cells. Mm -hmm. He had pretty decent motility in those sperm cells. But when we bred him to 30 sows, He's the only boar, and our two best boars were actually in the middle of the pack, not at the top, mm -hmm. from the standpoint of semen motility. And so what it does is it moves us to a range that it's, what are you trying to measure your nutrient quantities against, and are you measuring it in a way that's actually going to be effective to improve your overall fertility of the boar stud contribution to the mating of the sow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's very, very interesting. And I'm thinking here, and it brings, you know, we are, you already mentioned the challenge that, okay, there's not enough boar research because it's a small part of the population, uh, even though it's 50% of the final product, right? But also, the, the challenge that's interesting is if you're going to run a boar uh, study or research where you need a lot of bores because if you really want to look at the fertility rate and number of total borns, right? It, it's a, that's a much bigger challenge than just looking at motility. I think that's that's what uh, I digested uh, from what you said. Yes, and that's very correct. And uh, and again, it's it's not for everybody to do that. There's quite a, a cost and amount of labor that goes into that keeping track of it, but it's interesting to me that it has such a big impact. Now, if we stop to look at 
the issue of boar semen production and the mating response or the jumping the dummy and being collected, what we find those actually take very little nutrients to do both of those two things. Most of the nutrients we're doing for the boar are for their growth rate Mm -hmm. and for their body maintenance. Mm -hmm. The heavier that boar gets, the higher your body maintenance number gets, then the less we will actually probably be feeding that boar for growth rate. And so that's a thing that you've got to put into patterns. And there's a couple of projects, um, particularly K-State did a really nice paper on looking at a table and looking at what animals, what did it look like, and using data that was done from the University of Nebraska study of Gary Lewis's and looking at these parameters of how much was for semen production, how much for mating, and then uh, the other issue. I always try to suggest to people you don't want boars eating too little feed because you'll hurt semen production. Mm -hmm. You don't want boars to get overfed so that they're fat. Mm -hmm. It decreases their locomotion, decreases their jump time on the the, the AI dummies. And so they're both ends of the equation. We don't want to get on the extremes. We want to be as much in the middle as we can. That is very interesting. Body condition on those boars that comes along the lines of the, the common mistakes that you see in the, in the field, Dr. Wilson. So yeah. what would be those? So some of the three common mistakes that we tend to see, the biggest one I tend to find in the nutrition for boars is that the statement of some is good, more is better. Mm-hmm. And that's a very wrong concept in the boar stud. So we want to be careful. And it's, if you look at particularly minerals, vitamins, um, our issues with antioxidants, those are all things that we want to maintain a very sort of homeostatic balance in those animals to really keep them on track for their best ability for doing good production. And so uh, a great example is is zinc is known to be one of the minerals that's really important for reproduction. Mm-hmm. So with zinc, what we find is I get into levels that are far above where they should be for zinc because now you're at a high enough level, you're creating problems for a lot of the other minerals. So what we want to do is make sure we stay within the range what are the suggested guidelines for these and not drive for some of these really extreme levels that I tend to find all around the world. A second one is, is I think water testing and water quality is going to become a bigger and bigger player in nutrition than what we've looked at in the past. I think in the future, because of these things, of these biofilms that get into the pipelines and water systems, we've got to be a lot more careful about bacteria these animals are being exposed to. We have to worry about what uh, mineral concentrations do we have, what's your total dissolved solids. All of those can create problems with antioxidant uh, issues or oxidative stress. Uh, to that bore, and anytime we get into that, 
we will start to damage things with sperm production. Uh, you'll see changes in the amount of proximal droplets versus distal droplets on the tail of, of the sperm cells, et cetera, if we're getting imbalance with antioxidant versus uh, our oxidative stresses. A third one that I would probably recommend that is a common mistake mm-hmm. is the thing of either chronic undernutrition, okay? If that boar is underfed, you will decrease their uh, spermatogenesis and libido, while overnutrition increases locomotion problems, makes the boar slow to jump and the dummy and much more susceptible to heat stress which is one of the bigger problems we run into, particularly in some regions around the world for the summer months. Interesting. Makes, makes sense. I've seen some of those problems as well in, in the times that I've been through boar studs. Um, how about from a management uh, standpoint, what are the most important aspects for maximum performance? Yeah, and uh, this probably just falls into sort of, uh, I'll put my biases on this and my, <laughs> my philosophies towards it, and others mm-hmm. might agree and some might disagree. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I think is really critical when I watch in a boar stud where everybody is a team player, mm-hmm. you will watch those boar studs will run way more efficiently than the ones where they have one person that's sort of the dominant player mm-hmm. and the rest are just sort of there. And so I really like the team concept and that you keep everybody having the ability to do any one of the procedures or jobs in that stud that they can handle that, help with the information on it, that kind of thing. So I like team performance. Mm-hmm. Another one is, is observation to details. Mm-hmm. So as you walk the line, you see a boar that's not eating immediately, start thinking about, okay, does he have an ulcer? Does he, is he lame? Is that why he laid down so quickly? Is he, you know, trying to think about, treat those boars as soon as you see something different than their normal behavior, uh, I think is a really important one from a management standpoint. And the last one that I might guess at uh, would be minimizing particularly things like heat stress, anything that creates inflammation to those boars, Uh, lameness could be in that category. Uh, those types of things where we get into an inflammatory response will actually have a fairly significant impact on what happens with semen production and semen quality. Some boars, uh, particularly in some of the hot regions of the world that I go to and some of the desert areas, uh, even in Mexico, we get there and take a look. If that boar gets severely stressed with heat stress, what we find a lot of those boars never come back. Hmm. Don't worry if they don't improve within six weeks, they need to be removed from the system because it'll probably take them a long time to get back where they're going back to good, good semen production. Very interesting. How about, so you mentioned about the top three common mistakes in boar nutrition uh, a few minutes ago. How about the top three common mistakes you see from management side of things, uh, Dr. Wilson? I don't think you want to handle maternal sires exactly the same as you handle paternity sires. So those that are making your uh, grow finish pigs, I think are different 
bores to handle. They can go at a little younger age. What you'll find is if you start some of these maternal sires too early on collection and being in the collection line, what you'll actually find if you don't allow them to mature out to be a little closer to 10, 11 months before you start putting them in the line, mm-hmm. you'll find that they'll never do as well with their semen output, mm-hmm. uh, their sperm production that they do. We tend to find that we get into more problems with these animals crashing on us, and then we're always struggling to maintain the number of maternal sires that we actually want in the system to give us enough semen to make sure to handle our F1 production and the issue of even if you're higher up on the the ladder for uh, your genetics. So that's one of them. Mm -hmm. Another one I'd probably suggest mitigating particularly heat stress and track these boars that if they show you more than a 10% decrease in motility. Mm-hmm. So whether you, you know, collect that semen sample that day, put it in the fridge, and this is going to be one of your, your check ones that you're doing as you're sending the other semen out to producers, but is to check that semen. And if it drops more than 10% in the first three days, and usually even if it drops 10% in the first five days, I'm pretty concerned about how good a quality that semen is off of particularly the summer heat or the issue of a real hot stretch on those bores. And it'll take you about six to eight weeks to recover before they get back into sperm production and go back up into the production profile again. So we utilize at least semen motility at that point, our storage of it as an important aspect. The other mistake This may not be as common because I don't get in and actually see as many doses actually being generated or or put into a system now as I used to, but it used to be it was a real issue that they'd come up and then they'd make a hundred and, you know, uh, over a hundred doses of semen, 130, 160 doses of semen for one bore. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the equipment we had back a few years ago and stuff on that, we can just show you all kinds of university research that bores just don't put out that kind of quantity output of number of sperm cells. Mm-hmm. And so today, I think we're a lot more accurate on some of those things than we were. Mm-hmm. But that's one that I remember in my past was another one that was a fairly common problem. They were just making way too many doses in comparison to what the the sperm output for a bore, what they can actually generate and make in a single day. And so that was one that always kind of stuck out in my head that people were mismanaging some of that and probably underdosing their doses at that time. And then at that time they were still using three and four billion cells per dose. Today we're much lower than that today with a lot of them. Right. What would be the lowest you've seen as far as uh, concentration in the, in the dose? Most of the lowest ones uh, that I see generally in the United States are between one and a half uh, uh, billion sperm cells down to just slightly above one billion sperm cells. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we don't have very many that are going lower unless it's a certain genetic project or a special bore that they're trying to put across 
a certain specific number of animals, then they, they still go lower with uh, the post-cervical catheter mm-hmm. and dropping that semen directly into the uterine body. And a lot of them are using the post-cervical catheters, but a lot of them are, I still have a lot of the post-cervical catheters that are using two to two and a half billion cells still in those doses. A little bit defeats the purpose of what you, why you're really wanting to use that method of breeding is mainly for the issue of trying to further your genetic uh, use of the very top bores for particularly your rate of gain, feed efficiency, these things that hold such big dollar impacts on our grow finish animals. Now that's, that, that's interesting. I'm thinking here two brief questions I have to you, Dr. Wilson, that came to mind here. One is one that I always had for the last several years uh, when, I, when I was formulating boar diets is what is the recommended range in grams per day for digestible lysine? Um, you know, I've heard, if I recall, stories of if it's too high, you know, it could be problematic. Um, so what's the range that you feel comfortable with? Yeah, um, I don't know if we know the upper range very well. I will tell you the data that Dr. Boskamp out of the Netherlands had showed that once he got to 18 grams of lysine per day, that he saw no further improvement in either sperm output or sperm quality. No, no changes on that. Um, he went up to as high as 32 grams, mm-hmm. and I would not do that. You're just wasting um, particularly lysine, <laughs> yeah. and you are more than likely really increasing your BUN levels in the bloodstream when you right. move it too high. So Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking, yes. Yeah, so that's, man, I'm in agreement with you. Yeah, you nutritionists, I'm a physiologist, so I, I got to be careful of any of these nutrition things. Mm-hmm. But I would say that if you're plus or minus five, or even I, I see some of the places where particularly the show bores for, you know, show pigs and this kind of thing, they'll run a little higher trying to maintain a little more muscle mass on those bores and looks mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. them because people they sell a lot of their high priced semen by how that board looks. Mm-hmm. And so they'll run a little higher with the lysine. But I think there are things that, you know, when they add extra rectopamine for a long time, they don't walk quite as well. You'll see things where they've added the higher amounts of lysine and stuff. And what you'll see is they start going down on sort of some of their semen quality. And I think they go down on even on the female side we don't get as good a response out of that semen mm-hmm. uh, in some of these scenarios. And I don't have any direct data to prove that one. It's just stuff that I can observe from different show bore and uh, show style scenarios that, that look like it kind of show up. So mm-hmm. that would be my range that I'd hold it relatively tight to that, but mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of five or even seven going higher than, you know, somewhere at 25 or something like that, uh, grams of lysine. I'm okay on the younger boars. Mm-hmm. We actually find the younger boars, particularly the, the meat sires, our paternal sires, mm-hmm. they will, a lot of times early on, they'll have a little better libido. Mm-hmm. Um, we did several timing studies with those boars when you 
allow that genetic animal we have today, their capability to gain and what they, they do that, that they were a little more active for us. And so they were shortening up the time that it was taking to jump them on the dummy and this kind of thing. And so there are things again that, and we never wrote up most of these projects. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to, you know, put real validation to it, mm-hmm. but um, we did do a pretty good job of keeping track of, the numbers and the things we saw with this. And so it's kind of interesting that some of those, it's probably okay to do that. Okay. Um, some of the antioxidants are decent to, uh, to think about in nutrition mm-hmm. and to, if you've got some, you know, droplet problems, that kind of thing, upping selenium, upping uh, things like, uh, there's, there's a lot of, um, hearsay data and data from like companies, um, uh, some of these uh, uh, donor type uh, products that can go into the diet. But we, what we tend to find if we put them under pretty rigid research standards as to how to run that trial, what we find is uh, some of these don't give us near the response that a lot of times get talked about. And so mm-hmm. it's just a caution don't go to extremes in the bore. The more you can stay to sort of the middle of the road and be on track with sort of what a lot of your other competitors are, you'll probably be in the right range for those bores. And that, I make the analogy, that's the same thing for, for gestating sows, is the same thing. You don't have to go crazy on that, at least from an amino acid standpoint and a feeding amount standpoint and the energy, the extremes are pretty tough. The other question I have is... Uh, Okay, so we all agree more research is, is very, uh, not very common. Have you ever spent some time thinking, okay, maybe there's a way to change that, uh, but I don't know. Is there a way to, to, to make a change or any type of collaboration or something that, that would help uh, move the needle a little bit on the more research? Um, I have several of the larger, even nutrition companies, but also even the genetic companies that are putting a lot more interest back into boars because they want to make sure as we've changed this animal, are we missing something or do we have some needs that we're not taking care of? And it's probably a great idea to look at these. Um, it's probably been 10 years since very much activity has actually gone on. It's kind of good to see that that's starting to elevate again. There's rules of thumb that make, make some of this thing fairly easy for you know, looking at uh, production amounts. So I didn't talk much about the actual feeding. And if you think about sperm production, Mm -hmm. if you can get about uh, 0.07 pounds of a diet containing 1.4 megacals ME Mm -hmm. per per pound, Mm -hmm. that you will actually meet their requirement for sperm production. So it shows you it's very low. Mm-hmm. Mating is a 0.17 pound amount of diet. So the big difference is, is growth and maintenance. Maintenance, you will see that a 300 pound boar that you need about 3.42 uh, pounds of diet at 1.4 milica- uh, megacals. Mm-hmm. And if you look at a 700 pound boar, they need about six pounds of diet um, at 1.4 megacals. And so 
you have a pretty large jump or range that we have due to what's their body weight and maintenance becomes the biggest requirement. In our studs today, most of these bores only about as long as they'll be in there is about a year and a half and they're out. Mm-hmm. And they'll move and put the next generation in and keep moving more borer studs in there. Most of them have a replacement rate at least at 50%. Some are higher than that. Interesting. Yeah, some of the top of the, the genetic companies will be running at what? 100, over 100%, right? Replacement rate? Yeah, some of them are. That's right. That's correct. And that they'll they'll push that at a pretty fast pace because the number that they keep getting for their next uh, one on the uh, when they ratio them out as to what their production uh, parameters tell you as how high they rank, they keep trying to move the the highest bores into the system as they can. Very nice. Well, very good. Any other thoughts uh, in general here about bores before we move to the questions we ask every guest every episode? No, I think I probably covered more than you wanted even. <laughs> no, this is great. I, I hope not. No, this um, is great. And I hope that at least it gave you some idea how I think about bores and what I think are important mm-hmm. in really running a bore stud, taking care of a bore stud, and even the nutritional requirements. If they have questions or somebody, they're more than welcome to email me. I I'm very willing to help them with concepts or ideas, or I can at least give you ranges and averages that, that might be helpful to them. Uh, always tell them to contact their nutritionist or the genetic company nutritionist. Mm-hmm. Those people have a lot of knowledge on their, their own animals and can help them also. Very nice. Yeah, if anyone would like to get a hold of uh, uh, Dr. Wilson, just drop me an email. I can, I can share your, your email there, Dr. Wilson. Yeah, thank you. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestal manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system designed by pork producers for pork producers. They are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Gestal is not just manufactured by an equipment company, but by a family pork production business with a slat level understanding. Gestal always one step ahead in swine feeding. It is time to our famous three. The first question we ask every guest is, uh, what's your favorite pig-related book or resource in, uh, in general, any resource related to pigs? Yeah, probably my favorite book is either Swine Diseases or the Immunology the whole process of immunology and how it's controlled, etc. So either an immunology book mm-hmm. or uh, swine diseases, because those two tend to be very attached together. Uh, what they they're helping and understand why it has such an impact on on reproductive performance, both in boars and sows. Very nice. How about a book or resource uh, that's not related to pigs? I picked the Bible as one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other one that I, I like, and I have a lot of books on it, is different things about leadership and how you work with people and that kind of thing. Um, I enjoy those a, lot, a great deal. Very nice. 
In the last question, uh, Dr. Wilson, what do you think sets apart uh, successful sign professionals from those who are not? Um, well, I think you have to recognize that you're going to always be learning and you can learn from anybody on any aspect of swine production, whether they're the people right down in the trenches or the people clear at the top, you will learn a, a whole variety of things by working with, talking to those people, listen to them. So that would be my second one is you've got to be a great listener because it will help you understand what's their real problem, what do we need to help with or fix, and you need to understand where their, where their empathy or what they want for at least understanding and, and grasp of why is this problem happening to me, this kind of thing. And so a uh, good listener, the issue of you're going to learn for the rest of your career. And there's always smarter people out there than you are, which <laughs> yes. I'm getting really used to that. <laughs> And so then probably my last one would be, I would say uh, probably for me, the aspect that I like is to be humble mm -hmm. and be a servant to the people you're working with. If you do those two things, I think you'll find that you will have a very large success in working with people and getting people to want to work with what you're trying to help them with and teach them. So that would be my comments, I guess. And so Amazing. that's the world according to Mark Wilson. <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. I really appreciate that. And that's, that's really the, the goal of this question is, is you know, uh, if I were having dinner with you or any of the guests, I, I would like to be asking those questions. And, and I really appreciate the, the openness of you and all the other guests for, for sharing your thoughts on that. Arena, this is amazing. Thanks so much for your time, uh, Dr. Wilson. This uh, has been great. A lot of content. And like other guests have said in the past, um, you're uh, being able to ask the right questions to the right people. You you are a great resource uh, when it comes to, to boars. Uh, so I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And it was a great pleasure. And I just hope somebody at least got something from this that helped them. And I'm even okay if they want to argue with it and think I'm incorrect. I'm, <laughs> that's all good. That's, again, part of the learning process. And it's always about trying to help others teach and do what you can to help the swine industry. So, Marcio, thank you for allowing me to be part of your, your podcast. I consider that a real pleasure. Hey, everyone. We just crossed 15,000 downloads of our episodes and I wanted to say thank you. Please share our episodes with as many people as you can so we can continue to impact the life of swine professionals from around the globe with the wisdom of our great guests. Before you go, make sure to get in our waitlist for the Swine Talks web conference, the first online conference of the global swine industry, an update on hot topics and we even gonna have some controversial topics of the global swine industry so you can leverage that knowledge in your day today go to swinetalks.com and get on our wait list we'll talk soon